Hey, what's up everybody? Chad Kalick here, and welcome back to the In a Crowded Room podcast for episode number 123, where by popular demand, we are going to jump back into the world of ghosts and the paranormal. You guys constantly send me messages wanting to hear more behind-the-scenes info and more stories about my time spent on Paranormal State. Which, uh, I, I get it, uh, Paranormal State was a fun time in my life, and there was a lot of episodes and a lot of cases, and, um, you know, when I think of the cases that I want to share with you guys, a lot of the times it's not about, for me, it's not about what was the most exciting case on television, but what was the most exciting case in regards to what was going on behind the scenes, the stuff that you guys don't know about. And there was a case that popped up on my radar I thought of that had me laughing so hard and it was an intense case and but what was going on behind the scenes was just classic vintage paranormal state chaos and madness and that was the episode of Lake Conneaut. Uh, Lake Conneaut was this um, massive old Victorian hotel uh, that was built on uh, I'm sorry, Conning Out Lake is what it was called. And it was built upon uh, the lake. It was just called Hotel Conneaut, I believe. And it was one of those cases that I knew nothing about uh, the case whatsoever going into it. Because how it works is Annie would have their cases they liked that they submitted to Ryan. And then PRS would have their cases that they liked. And uh, they would kind of battle it out as to which was the best, you know, case per episode. And 99.99% of the time, uh, Ryan would win uh, because he was not afraid to just say, well, I'm not going then. <laughs> so, <laughs> Annie would, uh, you know, battle him and say, but this is the right case. And Annie had a tendency to always want to push, you know, uh, a, a child that was like possessed or something and just something so gut wrenching that you'd want nothing to do with the case, you know? And, um, you know, we did a couple of those too, but obviously that's not what we wanted to do every week. And, you know, Ryan would get to the point where I, I used to love it. It would crack me up. Cause I would, uh, you know, Ryan and I were such close friends at that time. He would allow me to sit in on these phone calls and, and he would, he would get to the point where he'd just be like, Okay, I've heard you all out. You've heard me out. You're telling me we're going to do this other case. I'm telling you we're not, and I'm not going. <laughs> that was it, you know. Okay, moving on. Well, Conneaut was like one of those cases where it was, um, you know, they had, uh, PRS had decided they wanted to do it. Uh, I heard about it like last second, but it was totally up my alley in the sense that I was used to doing large locations where PRS would... Uh, primarily do, you know, homes. And um, and I think that's kind of what I brought to Paranormal State in general. If you look at the PRS team, uh, which to be clear, I was not officially a part of PRS. Uh, I was a separate entity that just worked with Ryan, worked with Annie. I was never a member of PRS. Um, but what we did with AGH is evidence collecting. Uh, I was the only, you know, I guess you can call quote ghost hunter um, in the sense that I was an evidence collector, I was the only real evidence collector of the crew, you know, which is kind of where uh, my involvement came in. Somebody who 
uh, you know, knew how to basically capture this stuff on film. And so large locations I love. And this was a large location. And it was true like Victorian style in the sense that, you know, there's not a, a doorway in the whole place that's the same size. It's like three or four levels, probably, I don't know, I'm guessing 100 to 200 rooms. Um, just a massive, massive Victorian hotel. Every uh, every hallway that you walk on is angled. <laughs> Everything is like a 5% grade either way, no matter where you go. Um, and it's just truly, uh, you know, that, that has that great uh, haunted, creepy feel um, during the daytime, much less, you know, when, once it gets dark. Um, so once I showed up right away, I was like, all right, this is dope. Wow. We're doing a, a big place. That's typically not what paranormal state did. You know, I was uh, used to them. Like, uh, you know, we had just the one case that I always remember thinking, God, this is going to be so hard to capture anything was, uh, the, the case that we did right before I am six. I mean, it was this tiny little bedroom that I was sitting in. And if just holding the camera, you know, cut off half the room, you couldn't even see behind me. And if you turn the camera towards me, my physical body would cut off half the room. So it was just hard to get coverage on anything. Um, so the fact that we were moving into larger locations, I was like, this is awesome. Let's keep going in this direction. So anyways, I'm stoked when I see the place. And, you know, I was the first one that got there. And then by the time Ryan showed up, what I could tell is that I don't know what happened, but dude was in a mood. And I <laughs> see, I want to say this, it's going to sound weird, but like I loved when Ryan felt some kind of way about something and would get in a mood because he would keep people on their heels. Uh, when he was pissed off, anything could happen. You know, anyone could be going home. Uh, it was, just, it, was just, it just made people try really hard. And I knew he, I, he was in a mood. Something happened that he didn't like. And he wanted people to be, you know, working harder and kind of snap to it. And, uh, and how it worked is, not that I had any more security, but everybody for PRS, just so you guys know, they're employed by Ryan. Ryan's employed by A&E. So, you know, there's no like security blanket of, you know, employment or any guarantee that for any of those guys that you'll be on the next episode. You know, like anybody that, you know, Ryan brings to set, including myself, um, you know, there's no guarantee that you'll be on the next episode ever. So how you do in this episode will determine, you know, the future. And the reason that's important, and I, I didn't necessarily like the way it was structured at all, but what I did like about it is that it gets really monotonous on the road. It gets really easy after eight months of like traveling to kind of just fall into this, um, you know, uh, just same old, same old, you know, and it's really easy for things like, uh, you know, Chad takes, you know, uh, an extra smoke break than he should. Katrina shows up a little bit later than she should to set. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and not that she did that. I'm just pointing out things, right? Like things just, things just start to get loose after a while. And 
you know, you could see that on screen, right? When people start getting a little bored of the job and a little kind of tired of uh, what they're doing, you could see that. And I know Ryan did not like that. And for whatever reason, um, as I saw it, and again, this is through my eyes. He, he might even feel differently about this. But as I saw it, when he showed up that day, for some reason, he wanted to stir things up and he wanted people to be on their heels. And he had, uh, you know, some kind of feeling that, that, that it had been too comfortable. And I, like I said, I used to love it. I used to love it because I'm all about it, man. I mean, like, let's, I agree. We're here. It's game time. Let's light a fire that gods can see. And, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and, you know, we'll, we'll capture the devil on film. You know, like, I mean, I'm all about it. Let's do this, you know. So what I mean when I get there and all of a sudden I hear that I'm going to go pick up chip coffee which I don't know why I'd be picking up Chip. I've never done that before, but I'm like, okay. So I went and I picked up, uh, you know, Chip and I dropped him off uh, at his hotel. And, you know, Chip was like, any reason why you're picking me up? And I'm like, I, I have no idea, man. <laughs> and, and that's the honest to God's truth. I had no idea why I would be picking Chip up. Um, but I said, I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, so... Anyway, so I just dropped Chip off, and I just went back to Kanye. Now, remember, nobody is supposed to have contact with Chip whatsoever. I mean, no producers, nobody outside of Ryan Buell is supposed to be talking to Chip. On the days that we film, um, how it kind of works is Chip, you know, Chip makes it known the days that he's available to work. If those days fall on the days of a paranormal state case, you know, Chip's kind of waiting by his phone. And how it's supposed to work is, you know, Ryan will call him and let him know, uh, you know, that he needs him, you know, for a case. And obviously it would be against, uh, you know, Ryan's best interest to share anything about the case with Chip. Uh, so he wouldn't. And after, you know, Ryan lets him know that he needs him, if he's available, then, you know, somebody would, you know, book up Chip's plane flight you know, Chip gets on a plane that day. Uh, typically, um, it would be a production assistant picks him up and takes him to the hotel in which Chip is supposed to remain basically sequestered with nobody talking to him, nobody giving him anything, any information. And not just Chip, by the way. This is, you know, Lorraine, Michelle, anybody. Um, and the first time they're supposed to hear about the case that they're working on, the first time is supposed to be when they arrive on set. And this just ensures that the psychic has no additional information pocketed so they can, you know, have an authentic read of the place when they get there. And to my knowledge, that's exactly how it went. So um, the episode starts and we're filming. And, you know, one of the first things that they do uh, during filming, uh, they do an interview like with the client, which I'm no part of. And then they do the psychic walkthrough, like the first round of it. And um, so that's when, you know, Chip is brought in. So um, that happens. Chip is brought to the set and I'm just chilling on set. I got nothing to do. Uh, typically, um, when they do the psychic walkthrough, I don't even have to be there, you know. Uh, and a lot of times I am just chilling in my hotel room waiting for them to call me in for dead time because that's my only real role on the show at that time. 
And then out of the blue, I hear call for Chad on the IFB. Uh, that's the new earpiece in your ear. And I'm like, call for Chad. It's practically daylight out. Why would they need me? I'm like, oh, they must have messed up. You know, I'm just sitting there chilling. And next thing I know, hey, call for Chad on set. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So I get to set and Ryan turns around and says, you're going to do this with me. I'm going to do what with you? And he goes, the psychic walkthrough. And I go, okay, whoa, hold on. Me and you and Chip? And he goes, yes. And I go, Ryan, I'm not a psychic. And he goes, I know, I'm not asking you to be. He goes, Chip is the psychic. You're going to walk through with me. I want you to look around. I want you to, you know, do the same thing that I do. But, you know, both of us are going to do it with Chip. And I go, okay, um, does Chip know about it? And he goes, not yet. And I'm like, huh. And the reason I ask is just, you know, look, typically, uh, you know, you want to know what you're going into, right? If you're going to shoot a scene with anybody, uh, just as a courtesy, you want to know. But like I said, Ryan was feeling some kind of way that day. <laughs> and he was wanting to, you know, uh, stir things up a bit. And, and I, I was, like I said, I loved it. I dig it. Just the energy changed. And <laughs> so I'm like, this is awesome. Let's do this. Excellent. Chip kind of shows up. And I see Chip's kind of looking at me weird. Kind of like, what are you, what are you doing here? And uh, we just start. And it was super cool. Uh, it was super cool kind of watching Chip do his thing up close. Um, again, as I've told you guys before, uh, I'm not a big, uh, you know, believer in psychic ability. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't disbelieve in it. I don't have it. I don't understand it. And I've never witnessed anybody be any more accurate than like 10, 15%, which in my opinion is probably around the guess margin. Um, but I have seen psychics nail some things that even if they're only even if they were only like two percent correct i've seen them nail some things that there's just no way in my mind that they could have guessed the thing that they guessed or picked it out like you know that it's so incredibly accurate that it makes me go hmm so there's enough gray area there for me uh definitely to wonder and feel like a lot of study needs to go into it um and Chip knows I feel this way. It's certainly not a mark against Chip. I 100% believe that Chip believes in Chip's ability, and that's all I've, you know, ever needed to work with a psychic. If I, if I believe they believe, that's enough for me. Even if I don't necessarily believe in, you know, that there's some kind of magical ability that they have that I don't have. Um, but again, I want to stress this. I do believe it's possible to be psychic, and I've seen things that have made me scratch my head. I've just not seen enough to fully convince me, you know? Um, so it was kind of interesting to see Chip do his thing, you know, up front and, and, and you know, just close to it all. Um, but as we're walking, we get to the, we go through the whole main floor and, and Chip's just kind of, uh, you know, just spouting out what he feels and he'll walk in a room and he'll just like, I mean, when you're there, it does, it feels like a lot of guessing. It just feels like a ton of guesswork. And, um, I don't know the history to the place. So I personally don't know what he's accurate on and what he's not. Um, so I'm not even trying to guess if he's accurate or not, cause I don't know. Um, but when we get to the second floor, I look in, as we're walking, I look into this linen room and in this linen room, 
There is a short girl, and I, if I had to guess, I would say she wasn't Mexican. She was from like more like like a Southern America, like Guatemala, like like Guatemalan, like that type of look. And short, tiny, short, older, probably I should say older, but I would say you know late forties. Um, and I see her, and I nod my head to her. And I take about two or three more steps, and I realized that she didn't nod her head to me back. She didn't make any movement. It was just very awkward. It was like she was staring through me, like I wasn't even there. And I take a few steps backwards to, to be like, you know, why, why didn't she acknowledge me? And there's nobody in the room. Like, nobody. And, and to be clear, I did not feel as though I saw a ghost of any kind, I thought I saw a very short woman that looked, you know, South American. The closest look I could think would be like Guatemalan. And yeah, just nobody was in there. So I walked back into the room thinking, well, maybe there's an exit out of here or like, I don't know, like a stairwell or something. Uh, no, there's no exit. I mean, it's just the, the, the smallest, tiniest little linen room big heavy wooden door uh that you got to open to get into it it was it was it was pushed open and there was a this large spring and a brick that were holding it open i walked around the whole thing you know in which i come back and ryan's like you know what's up and i'm like nothing nothing i figured i i didn't want to say what it was i wanted to see if chip knew what i saw which he didn't so i said to ryan i said we'll talk about it later let's go and ended up telling him you know what i saw and he was like, huh. And he was like, but it didn't look like a ghost. I'm like, no, it did not look like a ghost. What I felt like is there was a lady back there that was like looking through me. And when I nodded to her, she made no gesture back. It was literally like she was looking towards me, but she didn't see me. Like that's almost what it seemed like. I go, so I took a few steps. Yeah, you know, took a few steps back, gone. Walked through the whole room, gone. So it was a really fascinating moment um and when stuff like that happens without any shred of anything to suggest that it was a ghost uh the only thing that you start thinking about is i hate to say it but i start thinking at that time i'm like have i been doing this too long am i going crazy you know like what why, why did i see something there that isn't there now and uh that's when you start doing things in your head like well, wait a minute, how long, how many steps did I take before I decided to go back and look in that room? Did I actually take like 10 steps? And then it dawned on me that she looked at me weird. And by the time I went back there, had she already left the room maybe? Um, and that's, you know, your mind starts playing tricks on you, right? And and that's your mind trying to make sense of things. And that's its job, it's supposed to. So um, by the end of the night, basically there was just a mental kind of checkpoint to me, which is at some point we need to go back to this room because I, I, I was certain I was certain of what I saw and I don't know how this person could have gotten out of there. I don't know how. Um, so we end up doing, you know, the walkthrough and, uh, you know, it was cool. You know, I, I enjoyed doing it. In fact, I haven't said to Ryan, if you want me to do more of these walkthroughs with you, Dude, that was fun, you know, and it was, like I said, it was cool to watch Chip 
uh, do his thing up close. Uh, again, I had no idea what he knew and what he didn't know and what the history of the place was. Uh, that's never given to me either because my job is to just collect evidence, right? So they don't want me to know what has occurred at the place um, because they don't want me to be influenced by that, right? I just need to go in not knowing anything, capture what I capture, and then see if that lines up with reports of the past, right? So I didn't know anything about what had occurred at the place before, so I didn't know how accurate Chip was being or not. Well, when we're done with the walkthrough, I'm sitting down on the main level of the hotel, and I see Chip come walking around, and uh, I kind of raise my hand, I'm like, yo, dude, come, you know, have a seat. And he, he came over and sat down, and I said, hey, you know, just so you know, I didn't know, I, I didn't know that I was going to do that. Um, but that was fun. That was cool. I hope it was, like, cool for you. Um, but I just wanted him to know that, you know, uh, I wasn't holding that in my pocket, and I didn't tell him. I wasn't, like, an aha thing. Um uh, but I did support it. I, I thought it was cool. I thought the idea of throwing anything new at us to kind of keep us on our toes is a good thing. And, uh, you know, I quickly learned that Chip, didn't, Chip did not feel the same way. He, he, not that he was against me personally being there, but he kind of voiced to me that he just didn't think, you know, it was cool that, you know, he wouldn't get a heads up if it was things were going to change process-wise, which I could I could see where he's coming from. Um, but this started going in a different place, and I could tell there was a bit more anger in Chip than I expected, and he just started saying, uh, and I'm not going to try to, like, remember every word how he said it, but essentially he said, uh, you know, you and Ryan you know, you guys have your own like thing going on and it kind of like affects me in a negative way. And I'm like, well, well you know, what are you talking about? And he said, well, uh, the whole, this whole thing with the lie detector test. And I'm like, huh? And basically Chip went on to say that he felt as though at some point in this episode, somebody was going to bust out a lie detector on him, like a lie detector test. And I had not heard that. I had not. And I said to him, I go, what? And he goes, well, I know, you know, I, I know about it. I've heard that. I said, Chip, I, I don't know about this. And he's like, I have not heard that a lie detector test is going to be busted out on you. I haven't heard that. Now, to be completely honest, throughout the entire time that I was on Paranormal State, lie detector tests came up all the time. Most of the time, they came up uh, the idea of using them with the clients to find out how honest the clients were being. You know, and of course, it's come up, would you use one? Would you use one? I've told Ryan many times, and it's been brought up to me, that I would be more than happy to do it. The only thing that would give me pause is if you don't have any experience with those things, you just don't know how accurate they are. And you don't know how they work, right? Um, so if I was a psychic, that's what would give me pause. Um, if I was being on the level, obviously, look, obviously if you're lying, that should give you pause. But if you're being on the level and you've never used a, you know, a, a lie detector test before and you have no idea how it works, you have no idea, you know, how accurate it is, you know, yeah, you, you would be nervous about it. Um, but basically, you know, I said to Chip, I said, well, Chip, I don't, I, I don't know who's told you what. But I have not heard that you are taking a lie detector test or that anybody is. 
you know, and, and he was, he was not, he was not happy about it. Um, and I want to say this too. I didn't get the impression that he was not happy because, you know, he was being dishonest in the past. I fully got the impression that he was unhappy because he felt like he was like outside of a circle type of thing. Uh, that was my honest opinion, which I didn't feel as though he was. Um, but later on, I talked to Ryan and I said to him, I said, yo, man, you know, I, I, I talked to Chip and he's like freaking out about uh, some, you know, a lie detector test. Are you going to bust that out this episode or whatever? And Ryan's like, I don't know, maybe. I was like, huh, okay. I don't know what happened, but like for the next hour, there was phone calls going around about it. Producers were calling me about it. And I was just like, I don't, I, I didn't know. I'm not involved in that. I don't know. I don't, I, I see, I have not seen, you know, lie detector test anywhere. I've not seen a polygraph anywhere. I don't know. Like, but it just went haywire for like an hour. And I knew what was going on, man. Again, Vintage Buell, man. Ryan was a master mental manipulator on set. And he was just getting the best out of everybody. He was putting everybody on their toes. He was freaking everybody out. He was making everybody uncomfortable so that they would work really, really hard and, and that you know nobody should feel like their position is a gift that you just get to come make this show. And you can argue as to whether or not you think that's cool or not, the right or wrong way to go about it. Uh, it's not the way I would have gone about it, but I'm just being honest in how I felt at the time. I liked the energy and the electricity that it kind of sent around the set. And it just made for an intense, intense investigation because you're just, you're so amped up and you're so energized and your, your, your emotions are so amped up. And, and, uh, so I was super excited to get it going and, uh, it did not let us down. We started out on the main floor in which something that I want to point out, just so you guys know, and this is a great example of how the TV industry works. That is so frustrating. Um, although fireworks were to come on that, uh, you know, first sweep of the main floor, there's footage they use in the episode of me going, what is that above me? Because there was this massive, from where I was, it sounded like this massive scratching sound, almost like uh, like a dog like scratching into like wood panels or something. And it just was had a lot of bass to it. And it was really loud. And I'm like, what is this? And it sounded like it was coming from above me kind of everywhere. And so in the episode, you see me saying, guys, I am down here and there is a massive sound coming around me. What is this sound? I'm looking up above and there's nothing but nothing but wood panels above me. I'm like, where is this coming from? And you can hear Sergio say like, uh, Chad, we don't know. We don't know. Well, the next day we went back and we absolutely figured it out. It was an ice machine. And the ice machine was dropping ice to the lower buckets and was hitting against those wooden panels and it was creating that sound down below, which we completely debunked. Well, what A&E would do is they just never went back to it. In the episode, they never went back to explain what it was or what it wasn't. So they didn't call it paranormal, but they didn't show us debunking it either. 
So I just want to be very clear for those of you that have seen this episode, if you go in that, you know, the main floor and hear this sound, it's just the ice machine above stairs. We figured that out. They didn't use us debunking it. But later on, we are back up in that main floor and we had walked past that room several times where I saw the person in the room and initially felt nothing. Felt, oh, it's just a room, whatever. And I was waiting for that same feeling. I've said this many times in the past in, in every paranormal investigation that I've ever done. When something legitimately uh, paranormal happens, there is an atmospheric feeling. There's just something. There's something. In, in the, it's like the, the the pressure changes in the air. Something you feel it quickly. It's super fast, but you feel it. And I was waiting for that to happen, um, if it were to happen. So we had been, you know, going back and forth, going back and forth. And the last time uh, that I crossed that room, I felt it really quickly, and I'm like, whoa. And I turned around, and I'm like, who is in there? And I look, and there's nobody that I could see in there, but it just feels like someone's in there again. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I don't really say anything to Ryan. I'm just, like, looking in the room. And something triggered him because he went into the room uh, on the opposite way. So I went into that room by myself alone. I walked all the way back to where that girl was standing, and I stood right in her space. Now, you didn't hear it on the episode because they just chopped it out. But once I got back there, I said, whoever you are, if you saw me earlier, let me know that you're here. Let me know that it's you. And I just waited for probably, I don't know, 30 seconds or so, maybe a minute. And then I started walking out of there. And right in my ear, loud as can be, you hear, Super loud, so loud that you, it's picked up on Ryan's camera, it's picked up on my camera, it freaks me out. I mean, it was like the loudest breath of air, I mean, it was like Andre the Giant took like a breath of air right in my earlobe, I mean, I mean, it was right in my ear, and I come firing out of that room like crazy, and I turn back around, and as I start to go walking back in, that big massive wooden door just shuts itself. And I had known earlier, from when I went in that room earlier to try to figure out what was going on, I remember putting my hand on that wooden door, and that thing was so heavy. And right after that door shut, I was like, man, there's no way that door should have, should have shut. Because there was a point where it had this big uh, spring on it, and once you got it past like the fulcrum area, it almost, uh, the spring would uh, work in the opposite way to hold it shut. Um, so like you, you open it up, push it, push it, push it, and the spring works against it, and then you get it past the middle, and it would fold, and, and, and the spring would hold this massive door, like, you know, well, I guess it would be open if you're looking in uh, and shut if you're looking out. So I knew there was no way that that door should have shut. Oh shit, dude! No, I totally just Ryan. Something just breathed in my ear. Why is the door moving? You don't want to stay there. Oh shit, dude! No, I totally just 
Ryan, something just breathed in my ear. Why is the door moving? You don't want to stay there? Oh, shit. Dude, no, I totally just... Ryan, something just breathed in my ear. Why is the door moving? So the following day comes and I'm looking at the footage and I'm like, okay, how do I get this door to be open where it was? How do I run out of here, wait like two or three seconds, turn around and start to walk back in and have this door? How do I do this and have this door shut? And after, man, probably, I don't know, three hours I spent in there, I knew there was no way humanly possible, there was no way possible that I could have ran out of that room and had that door shut, especially with the time in between me turning around and going back in. We could not get that door uh, to so much as budge on all of our recreations. And now, and how this works too, just, and I'm gonna bring this up, it's important, is a lot of times when I would have, well I shouldn't say a lot, every time, every time that I would have evidence, Ryan would go, well, before we present it, let's put it through the Josh test. And at first, they used to like piss me off because I was like, put it through the Josh test. I don't need Josh telling me what's real and what's not, I know what's real. And I used to get like, you know, kind of, you know, angry about it. But what I realized over time is you got to test everybody, right? Like it's a, it's a proper investigation. If someone says I experienced something, you shouldn't be upset by someone saying, okay, well, let me put another mind on it. Let me put somebody else on it and see if they could figure it out. And that's all Ryan was really doing. And, and it used to bother me because I'm like, Listen, you think Josh is some genius that, like, you know, he's going to figure out something I can't. And for the record, not one time did I present something as evidence that Josh debunked or anybody else for that matter. But in retrospect, I'm not upset by that either now when I look back and, and you just go, listen, that's how investigating should be. If someone experiences something before you, you know, present it to anybody, it should be wide open on the table for peer review, and everybody should jump in and try to figure out how how it could be replicated, right, if, if it can be. And the same thing should be said for psychic ability for the sake of psychic ability when it comes to this whole idea of, you know, a polygraph. Um, if a psychic said, listen, my concern with the polygraph is it's not even admissible in court, so we know that there's malfunctions in it, uh, my concern is that I've never used it before, so just using it makes me uncomfortable. I would love to see a process of being like, okay, well, let's let's allow you to use it. Let's allow you to answer a bunch of questions that have nothing to do with the paranormal. Let's just get uh, you know you comfortable with the machine. And just so you know, I'm not talking about chip specifically. I'm talking about all psychics because I'm interested in psychic ability if it's real, if it can be proven to a further degree than it is now, that would be awesome. And any psychic that's upset by that, they should be upset by their own you know, arena of the paranormal because unfortunately, the most faked, the most faked area of the paranormal, the area of the paranormal that has been the most abused as far as fakery goes and, and hoaxing and all that is the psychic medium area. So I would love to see steps taken to further prove the ability 
of psychics and and mediums. And, and I think until we get to a place where we can do stuff like this, until we can do polygraphs or some way of measuring what somebody for sure did or didn't know, to a certain degree, we're going to have to just accept, do I think this person is being honest or not? And, you know, listen, I, I know um, when it comes to paranormal evidence, what I love about presenting evidence and putting it out there for the world to see is that peer review is what makes things real. Putting it out there and say, okay, here's the raw footage, go to work. Show us where we are wrong. That's what I love about paranormal documentaries that include evidence. That evidence is right there. That's what I loved about Sir No Face. Show me, you know, how this happened. Tell me what Sir No Face is because we can't figure it out. We can't figure it out, you know? And hopefully, in the future, steps will be taken to further prove that psychic ability is a, you know, a legitimate human ability because, man, that's fascinating. And, and again, I say that because I don't have it. I don't have psychic ability. So for somebody who does, man, I mean, that is fascinating. The idea that you could, I don't know, speak to the dead through mediumship or predict a future event or know the presence of some kind of spiritual being that is in the room with you at a time and communicate with it. Listen, that, man, that's like the holy grail of paranormal investigating. If that could be proven to be an absolute uh, substantiated ability. It's not about, you know, the aha, got ya. Like, that doesn't do anything for the field. And I'm not just talking about psychic ability. I think every single aspect of the paranormal field needs much greater scrutiny than it's gone under, you know, since the television revolution of paranormal shows. We've got to find ways to uh, hold paranormal investigators and uh, psychics, mediums, um, you know, everybody who's involved in whatever aspect they choose to be involved in the paranormal field, we have to find a way to, I guess, uh, you know, up the ante, right? Make this stuff uh, more real. And the way to do that is scrutiny. It's scrutiny. So um, that was an incredible case. Uh, when it was all said and done, we definitely felt like Conneaut Lake was haunted. Um, we did an event there later with PRS as well, and there was a lot of activity. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Um, I remember when it was all said and done, that episode, <laughs> that that electricity was there, and I remember everybody kind of having an exhale when it was over, and and I remember talking to Ryan just in general about the whole case, and and uh, yeah, I, you know, I, to this day, I don't know what it was specifically that triggered him uh, when he showed up, uh, but he definitely wanted to get more out of the team, and he wanted to, uh, you know, make sure that everything, you know, was on the level and that people, um, you know, were giving it their all. And, uh, you know, like I said, you can maybe argue with the methods, but uh, I, I just, en I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed everybody feeling like they have to give one hundred and ten percent. Because, you know, there are many cases on Paranormal State where you'd show up and, you know, it was almost like people seemed down at times, you know, like it was like, oh, here I am again, you know, another case. And, and that was more towards the later seasons. Um, and I've always looked at Paranormal State as something that was 
Look, man, there was difficult moments and times things were frustrating, but that was that was a special, special time for everybody involved. I mean, there's only like eight of us on the inside that will ever know what it's like to be a part of, you know, Paranormal State. And at its height, man, there is not a better paranormal show that's ever been made than Paranormal State. And I'm talking at its height, meaning our best episodes. Now, granted, our bad episodes were unwatchable (laughs) because when, you know, you have clients that aren't that believable and then nothing really happens in regard to evidence. And we had a lot of those episodes where just we didn't capture anything because we wouldn't fake things. And then when the psychic walkthrough just kind of, you know, (laughs) leaves a a little to be wanted, you know, some of those episodes are just unwatchable, man. But you go back and you look at, you know, I Am Six, part one and two, you go back and you look at even like the Jersey Devil episodes or the Darkness Falls episode. Um, Like there was just so many, uh, I mean, the UFO episode was incredible. Um... I thought the Boy Pushed Me episode was awesome. Cognac was awesome. There there was some just incredible episodes. And that was a special, special thing to be a part of, man. And it's unfortunate that, you know, over the course of time, uh, the friendships, a lot of a lot of the friendships kind of faded. Um and and not even in a horrible way. Like, look, life takes you down paths, right? And we're meant to travel. That's what we are. We're travelers, you know? Uh, I've always looked at myself as a gypsy, and that's, you know, I wasn't meant to be anywhere too long, you know? And uh, I was meant to land, you know, meet those people, and make those movies, and, and move on down the road, right? Um, but I do, you know? I mean, recently I've been able to do some events with Taddy, and I saw Taddy on tour last year, And I had not spoken to her. When I saw her on tour in Pittsburgh, I had not spoken to her in a decade. You know, in a decade. So it's been really awesome to do a couple of events with her um, and just to reconnect. And we laugh all the time about how how fun Paranormal State was. We had a blast. We had an amazing, amazing time. And to be a part of something that at one point was the top-rated paranormal show in the world... Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That was that was pretty cool to be a part of that. And to still, to this day, to still have fans who care about it, that's pretty crazy. And look, we all went on to do different things. You know, I wanted to make films, man. And I wanted to build the film side of my company. And thank God I've been able to do that with an incredible team that I have that surrounds me. Um, I know Katrina's out doing her thing. Uh, I, I, I see the, the shows she's on sometimes. And that's cool. Um, you know, I mean, it was a lot of fun. So I guess the reason I'm saying this is because I think it's really cool that you guys still want to hear all of these stories, uh, because it was special. It was special. And, uh, you know, look, I'm proud to be a part of it. And I'm glad you guys, uh, like to hear about it all. So to, uh, everyone involved in the Cognac episode, whether you'll ever hear this or not, I love y'all, man. It was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful piece of time. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't have done it any other way, man. It was awesome. And in the future, I promise that I will bust out more Peace State stories. Always a good time sharing with you those, uh, those wonderful memories. 
Thank you all once again for listening to another episode of the In a Crowded Room podcast. I will be back tomorrow with more. All the best.